I don't know. I mean, it's just it's. I think you know, sort of. Um, uh, once everything else has been crossed off, aphorisms are what's left. I think. <laughs> um, <laughs> so it's just like I mean, I do tend to think of it as more uh, 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 as a you know something that arises out of um, uh, a kind of uh, an immediate conviction. Whether you're you're still convinced of that thing five minutes later is kind of irrelevant. But it's a kind of rhetorical structure that comes out of that moment of, of, of apparent epiphany mm. that might not be, you know. For me, the, it has to prove itself in its own construction somehow. It has to be something in it that's self-proving. And it can't be a proverbial, it can't be something you already know or, 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 or a piece of common knowledge. That doesn't count. It's really hard to say. I mean, I still like my wee brother's definition, which is somewhere between a point and a waste of time. But it's, um, <laughs> it does have that feel about being the, the nearest thing in literature to ringing a doorbell and running away, I think, you know, it's just like you shout it and then flee and then, then disown it completely. Yeah. Just, yeah. You, you can't say what an aphorism is, but you know it when you see it. That's yeah, it's a provocation of sorts, I think, you know, ideally, you know, it's just like, it's certainly not seeking an agreement. Yeah. It's precisely the opposite. It's seeking it, hopefully in the way that it challenges the authors, you know, it's, it's seeking to challenge a, you know, a, a uninterrogated kind of prejudice of, you know. Yeah, and you, you, like you were saying, you don't always end up agreeing with your own aphorism. Oh, hell no. I mean, I think I'm on about 40% in terms of what I agree with <laughs> in the book, but I don't think it, it obliges you to, you know, to be its apologist in the way that one weirdly is with a poem. You know, poems are supposed to, you're supposed to be midwife to, you know, and send him off to school and take him out on the road and, you know, just let him see him all right and take responsibility for it somehow. But the aphorism, nah, I don't think so. Throw the sand in people's eyes. It's, yeah, I mean, maybe you should take your name off the book. Maybe that would be the maybe point you should. Don't know. Um, so what makes for a good aphorism? Just merely the fact that one's detained by it. Merely the fact, I mean, again, you have to work on the, the old sort of reciprocity principle, which is if you've had the, an experience in writing it, you have to trust that someone's experience in reading it is the same. Uh, you know, sort of, so again, it's like that frost thing. If you're moved while you're writing the thing, you know, there's a good chance that someone else will be moved while they're reading it. But it's no good you being moved the week before and then writing it up. It's the same thing with the aphorism, I think, which is that if you're shocked or surprised by it at the time, you know, that's the test of it, you know, sort of being any good, I think, you know. If you're, if you're slapped into a brief moment of wakefulness by this thing, chances are somebody else might be as well. And that's its only purpose, really. It's, it's not to seek agreement. It's to, it's to seek a state of wakefulness in the reader as it has hopefully in the right. So what's the, 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 the history of aphorisms? There isn't a really great, strong British tradition of yeah. aphorisms, for example. No, the, I mean, the, the, it's of all the, you know, sort of, um, yeah, the Anglophone is probably the weakest sort of the tradition, which is kind of odd. But we do other things, you know, we do wit, I think. But there's something, I think, to do with the conflation in folks' minds of the, the domains of the, the aphorism and, and of wisdom literature that's uncomfortable for folk. You know, we don't really have a wisdom li literature tradition, you know, outside the religious text, which is um, problematic. But there's other places too, you know. Um, mm -hmm. I mean, the philosophical essay, I mean, I, I'm trying to think. I mean, it's probably not such a big thing in the Anglophone tradition either as it is elsewhere. Mm -hmm. I need to think about that. I don't know if that's true. Yeah, but I mean, it, I mean, but as a form, it, it, uh, it, I mean, I think it's, it's pre-Socratic, you know. So it's, uh, I mean, it stands at that weird junction between a lyric poetic expression and a philosophical one, where both regard brevity uh, and elegance of statement as, as some guarantor of, of the of the truth. 
Um, so so it's, I think it still sits at that little kind of Heraclitean junction um, where we're both on the same page. Truth and beauty, you know, all that. Here a few um, Aye, sure, just yeah. give people a <coughs> flavour of what we're talking about. <coughs> Uh, oh, I'll, read, I'll read a couple randomly from the, the uh, um, start of the book. Because you know, uh, we should say the book is um, it's uh, The Fall at Home and it's new collected aphorisms. So there's a whole volume of aphorisms people will never have read before, plus it collects your two previous books as well. And you've also got a section at the back, <coughs> which is... Yeah, I collected all aphorisms, aphorisms about aphorisms, um, in the one place so they can be uh, they, they can be safely ignored. So they have to kind of ignore them on an individual basis. Well, the first one here, for some reason, is consciousness is the turn the universe makes to hasten its own end. So hard one to laugh all the time, but a lot of them are quite are, are kind of a bit more scrumbless or funny. Now that once you declare one's work funny. To a poet, a friend is just an inconvenience standing between them and a decent elegy. See, I don't believe that. It's good lines, though. Exactly. Exactly. Uh, overstate one thing, mute another. No one remembers the third rule of Fight Club. And then some of them are more kind of anecdotal. Again, this is just from the first few pages. Um, true story. Having developed guitarist ganglion. I looked in the web for some help and found that hit it with the Bible is still the most widely dispensed advice. What I had not foreseen was the number of the afflicted who assumed that the remedy worked by occult means and had gone to the trouble of purchasing Bibles solely for this purpose. It's true, like, I mean, any big book would do when you think about it. It's got to be a Bible. Um, a good poem should have a beginning, a middle or an end. You know, there's another weird convention in poetry, which is that you try to present your best self, you know, and your most moral and, and empathetic self, mm. whereas the aphorism's wholly free from that obligation, you know. You get to sound kind of annoyed, disenfranchised, and you know, just like really, really upset about everything, you know, and bitchy. I met the only living member of that golden generation last night, a charming man, but he reminded me that the last surviving beetle is always Ringo. Uh, and I won't say who I was thinking about here, but... Um, uh, We'll call him X. I gave up dreaming of revenge when I realised I could construct no more creative torment for X than having to wake up as X every morning. One afternoon, several decades ago, I was playing badminton at the local sports hall. Following a ham-fisted and mistimed smash at the net, I sprained my ankle and went down screaming in a kind of wheeling, one-legged Cossack dance. As I lay there poleaxed, I saw a hand reach down to help me to my feet. Through the curtain of my tears, I made out the handsome, mustachioed face of Daley Thompson, then known as the world's greatest living Olympian. I can recount a largely identical story where, after playing a hideously botched guitar solo, I looked up to meet the pity-filled eyes of Sir Peter Maxwell Davis. Both, both occasions required me to question my atheism as no other experience had before. If I were God, this is precisely how I would amuse myself. I was going to ask if you'd actually genuinely met Daley Thompson. Uh, under those circumstances? <laughs> yeah. Yeah, yeah, after, after a badly missed time. I sprayed my ankle really badly, and, and it was Daley who was on the next court. I'm going, great, thank you. The, the, the humiliation is literally complete. Yeah. yeah. So what would you say, the general themes across aphorism, would you even say that? But, you know, um, as a reader, I could see certain strands come out, you know, 
Um, you don't plan it like that, though. It's just, you know, what I guess it's a series of light bulb moments or things yeah, you like. Yeah, I mean, they tend, to come in a, um, they tend to come in a bit of a rush, you know. Mm. It's just like, and often they can be prompted by reading other... After, I mean, maybe it's like a stupid mail kind of mirror neuron thing or something like that, you know, when you see a sort of another bloke asserting themselves, you know, that you feel obliged to do the same. But, I mean, and it's a peculiarly blokish uh, form. In fact, you know, I should recommend a, a book that's come out recently by Sarah Manguso um, called 300 Arguments, which is unusual in that it's a book of aphorisms by a woman, because th there aren't that many. Um, uh, I, don't know, I don't know why that is, you know, pointless little kind of frustrated kind of assertions of, you know, penishood, I suppose, or something, I don't know what they are. But, um, but yeah, they do so, they, they do just kind of occur to one, I think, and they, and they tend to come sort of, you know, yeah, like buses, <laughs> and then they just stop and go somewhere very remote. There's quite a few aphorisms about consciousness, for example. Yeah. Well, would you want to say something about that? About what? <laughs> Sorry, <laughs> your eyes widened there. Um, what is it about the questioning um, consciousness that suits you know an aphorism rather than a a long essay? Is it just because that's the nature of consciousness? It just sparks into your mind. I don't know why that is. I mean, I think, I mean, it comes, a lot of them are just concerned with the, the, the usual biggies, you know, sex, death, consciousness, you know, and mm -hmm. just like birth and identity and existence and what have you. And I think it's because a lot of the, the, the stuff that you could write on that would be endless. And there's no middle ground, really, you know, mm -hmm. it's just like, so you either write sort of, you know, a likely circular essay on the subject, you know, which would be pointless, you know, uh, or you write your being in time, or you, or, or you write an aphorism. Um, yeah, I, I, I think I, I, their purpose is to, it, it isn't really a, to state a thesis so much as to puncture uh, an existing uh, prejudice, a piece of received wisdom, mm. I think, is to get rid of that, you know, rather than to prove a, a thesis per se. Yeah, there's lots of good um, aphorisms about poetry itself as well. Sometimes I think a bit like it's a bit like Eno's oblique strategies. You know, you could um, you you wondered about poetry should have a should have a, a middle, a beginning, middle or an end. You know, I can imagine if I wrote poetry, thinking, oh, how do I translate that into like a strategy? Yeah, some of them might have been of some practical use. I mean, yeah. I think, but I mean, I think again though, it's not circularity. Which is that you know if you were a plumber you'd be writing aphorisms about plumbing you know it's just like, because <laughs> I know poetry and it's uh, you know sort of um, you know inevitably I return to poetry and music because it's two things that help you um, but that might be the only reason. So T. S. Eliot's aphorisms would be about you know accounting or um, yeah you know what I mean yeah about being kind of being yeah. annoyed at having to go to the Christmas party at all totally, yeah about <laughs> writing blobs yeah. <laughs> yeah no I think that's true. And um, as we've pointed out as well, humour is quite an important part of it as well. I liked your, I could identify with the one about not reaching one's full potential, need be no disaster, speaking as a failed mass murderer. Absolutely. Yeah, so you've got nothing to hide. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah. But it sells it, doesn't it? If you can, if you've got a thought and you can, you can find a way to make it humorous, it stays in the mind a lot longer, I think, than... Something more I thought it's quite funny. You don't sort of intend to be funny. I think if you intend to be funny, you're never funny, you know. Um, but I think there's something about the old f kind of frame breaking 
that, that's inherent in the aphoristic gesture that can often be funny. So it's, it often involves the, you know, the collision of existing frames that you thought were, were mutually exclusive and you're bashing together. And that's just genuinely funny, you mm. know, just like, but, you know, I mean, as soon as you start to analyse humour, it seems, everything seems yeah. to be funny. But it's just like, yeah, you're often aware of like throwing two things up against each other and it's just like, yeah, that's fine. At, at the risk of um, invoking national characteristics which don't exist, but um, you, you know that maybe something Scottish about developing an idea and then immediately wanting to undermine it and taking the piss That's a very it. good point, actually. Yeah, I mean, there, I, there may be a, you know, if there were more aphorists, you could identify a kind of national trend amongst the Scottish, you know, aphorists. Mm -hmm. But I think if there were, it would be towards self-deprecation, you know, yeah. definitely. And, and, you know, undermining of your own statement as soon as you've said it, you know. Within it's almost same, an aphorism in itself. Yeah, within the same sense, it's really quite a trick. <laughs> yeah, 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 you just flip it around. So one of the things that aphorisms keep returning to, I think, is the impossibility of being understood. One of the aphorisms goes, um, if you read a poem slowly and carefully enough, you will find many things that are not there. That's true, though. Yeah, well, yes. <laughs> that one I can give that. And you also write, all poets suffer from a rational fear of being understood. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Will we just um, leave it at that? Well, you know, I mean, I think they do. I mean, I think that's just like, you know, um, I, I'm often curious about why we avoid it, transparency. I mean, there are good reasons for for why you're always trying to drag things into the language that, you know, don't don't naturally fit and, and, and for which normal speech, you know, sort of is poorly accommodates. And that's why poets speak in the funny way that they do. But maybe they're just trying to conceal the fact that what they're saying is really terrible, or that they're morally corrupt, or they're just wrong about everything, you know, it's just like they've got everything wrong, mm. you know. I mean, to I mean to have your poem wholly understood would be a horrible thing, I think. Well, you just read it once and you'd never have to read it again, would you? Be like, um, well, be, well there, there is that, but, but, but there's something more worrying than that, you know, which is like, what are you saying exactly? <laughs> yeah, so I think it's a, a lot of... So the fuzz around poetic language is, is as much judicious as just a product of, you know, difficult wrestle with yeah. you know, language and meaning. If you have never read any aphorisms before and read your book and you want to read some more, can you give a quick um, you sure. know, reading list to anyone who wants to dive in? Well, as I say, I'd recommend that sort of book I say to my goosles, I mean, which has uh, just come out, um, and not just because we publish it. I'm not saying that at all. Um, Picador uh, publish it? Yeah, we do, yeah. And it's just like, it hasn't got much attention, but it's, a, it's, a, it's, it's, it's good, I think, you know, and there's just not much comes out in that genre. Of contemporary aphorists, I mean, there aren't really that many, you know, and the thing is, you're never going to get an aphorist paying another aphorist a compliment because much more so than even poets, they want to be the only aphorist. Mm -hmm. So you never praise another aphorist. Went to an aphorist convention once, it seems like a great start of a joke, and it was like, you know, it's just like, Oh, you're being serious? <laughs> oh, yeah, it was terrible, you know, and, and, it, and it ended to my horror in total agreement. And I'm thinking, I don't want any part of this bullshit. <laughs> like, you know, yeah, and you go, Oh, go to hell. Um, but uh, so contemporary aphorists, it's really tough. James Richardson's very good in the States. And Charlie Simich occasionally does something that's close to aphoristic, which I think is, you know, it's good. And there's, there, there are weird pockets of where it's clearly more of a national thing, like there are kind of Serbian aphorists that are pretty hot, you know? Is it more yeah, common like, in 
Eastern Europe historically as well. Yeah, I mean, because they're all things like sort of, you know, the government is using the carrot and stick approach, you know, uh, first it beats us with sticks, now it beats us with carrots. You know, it's like, I mean, it's, it's all really, it's quite yeah, politicised. But, uh, but also there's, there's, there's that Balkan sort of, uh, you know, sort of humour, which is quite close to Scots, mm. you know, it's incredibly dark. Um, and that produced the daddy of the law in the 20th century. It was Emil Sierra, you know, of Chihuahua in Romania, who was who wrote in French, started in Romania, but, but wrote in French. Um, and, and, and that's Balkan aphoristic humour, you know, so that's absolute acme. You know, it's just like, and he was misread by a lot of, you know, sort of, um, you know, young windswept existentialists who really believed what he was saying about suicide and acted on it. <laughs> it's, it's just like, he says, no, I'm joking, I'm joking. It's a bit of a boggy photo, I think. Um, but I mean, dark as hell. Yeah. So CRI is really uh, in the kind of Nietzschean line of, of, of the aphorism. And, and, uh, and if I've learned anything from anybody, it was all from CRI. Mm. Um, but really, but dark, really funny, and, and really interested in, in, in existing primarily. You know, I mean, he's, the titles of his books are are, are, are you know? The trouble with being born. Yeah. I don't think I'll ask my mum to get that for my birthday. Eh? <laughs> my mum would uh, probably wonder what I was on about if I was. <laughs> yeah, it's not a birthday it's not present. Title that your mother's going to rejoice about the song. It's a great, great book. Yeah. yeah. And he also wrote in kind of discredited, kind of you know, sort of or, or marginal forms like the philosophical essay. You know, which are really barely exist now. Except now that you know we're, we're seeing the rise of the public intellectual, and she had more of that sort of stuff. So there may be more of a role for that kind of thing. But see, it's, yeah, it's the best for me. Mm. Yeah. Should we listen to a few aphorisms about aphorisms? Oh, yeah, that, that's a request that I'm never going to hear again in my lifetime. <laughs> so, um, so there's some notes on uh, aphorists at the start. So I go through alphabetically a whole bunch of aphorists. Um, uh, and give a wee. So that would. So if you were interested in the aphorism, that would be a little handy kind of lexicon encyclopedia. Um, not lexicon. Oh yeah, I, I will make a recommendation, which is Antonio Porcia, Borgia, uh, uh, as they say, Argentina, um, uh, who was a really weird guy, and you think reading him. He must have read Kafka. He must have read Nietzsche and stuff like that. But he was a, not a naive exactly, but. But a sort of weird artisan genius. He was a, a, a ceramicist, I think, a poor. Um, uh, and he wrote these kind of one-liners, um, one of which I have tattooed to my body. You know, it's just it's um, uh, a, a really extraordinary thing. You know, and they were translated very well by W. S. Merwin in a book called Voices that everybody should seek out. So I'd really recommend Porchia P O R C H I A. Amazing. But there's like there's a note on Jacques Rigaud here. Um, I read of Jacques Rigaud that he demoralised whatever came into contact with him. I have done my bit to be sure, though generally only with other humans, but through mere propinquity to plunge a dog into despair, a nightstand, and quivering with professional jealousy. And then some of them are just bitchy. Like one who who's occasionally read these days is is uh, is Nicholas uh, uh, Taleb. Do you know Taleb's? Black Swan. Yeah, Black Swan. And he wrote a book of um, aphorisms called I don't know, Better for Christie's or something. Mm. I can't remember. It's not very good. So there's a bitchy about Taleb. Um, as an aphorist, he is nearly good, just pretty good these days. 
but his voice always quivers in the last word, like the bullying sentimentalist who knows he is. Isn't that terrible? <laughs> he is, though. Um, don't like bullies. Um, oh, sorry, aphorisms. Uh, suddenly I realised I had written three books of aphorism where none should have sufficed. Like poetry, aphorism is also a mode of reading. We decide in advance to discover a general truth. Thus, found in a box of matches, keep away from damp places and small children. So I'm doing that on myself again. Poet, someone in the aphorism game for the money. That's true, it's the only thing that makes less money in poetry. The aphorism, hindsight with murderous purpose, esprit de l'escalier, but on the ascent. So I barely understand that. Uh, the aphorism is a brief waste of time. The poem is a complete waste of time. The novel is a monumental waste of time. 